Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session on this Wednesday edition of the podcast. One extra day for you guys to wait this week, so apologies. I hope you listened to the Boomer Harvey interview in the meantime from last week. And it it looked like some of you did. We had over 40,000 combined listens last week, so I really can't thank you enough for your support. And obviously thanks to Mum for sharing it with a few extra relatives this time. 40,000 or usually get to Christmas. So it would have helped. And uh, my bosses are very pleased with that. And speaking of my bosses, I'm, I'm here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA, and the Footy Live app. Make sure you download the Footy Live app today. Honestly, if you haven't, you, you're truly missing out. And I'm not just saying it because I have to, or, or the fact it's in my contract and my boss is looking at me through the window as we speak. Uh, it is legitimately amazing. Best footy app out there. Uh, open it for all your stats, your scores, your highlights, your news, opinions, and your podcast as well, where you'll find the gym session, of course. Uh, a great companion app to have alongside you while you're watching the footy as well. And if you're a North supporter, it's probably the only one alongside you while you're watching the footy. Uh, it's pretty tough, pretty tough to be a North supporter at the moment, but uh, we'll try and bring you some joy with a big podcast this week, and it's a little bit longer this week, but only to match the sleeves that our guests wore while taking the field uh, most weeks, and, and also that every minute is amazing content, so uh, except for maybe the puns and, and this intro, but the good news is I won't be rambling on for much longer because we've got to get straight into it. We've got Carlton champion Matthew Skinny Lappin coming on for a chat about his career, his highs, his lows, and his and his current takes on footy as well, which if you do know Skinny, you'll know they're not filtered at all, mate. He's very, very open and honest and straight to the point, which we love here. And uh, and as is the Monday review panel on a Wednesday with uh, Gordo and Nick and myself, uh, they will bring it to you straight after that interview as well. If you want to skip ahead to a certain part of the podcast, you're dead to me. Just listen to the whole thing. Surely not that busy. No, but if you have to, uh, the timestamps are in the descriptions below. So uh, you can check that out and skip ahead to your favorite part. Hey, before we speak to Maddie Lappin, here is our wonderful round recap to tell you what happened in round seven. Yes, Jimmy! Footy is a copycat league, although the copy dogs look like they'd eaten their homework after halftime on Friday night. The wounded Tigers look tigerish, and all that tomfoolery about Lynch being average proved to mean Jack. Rewalt and Tom chopped down wood and the dog's defence, while Dimmer found out driving to wins without his cane Lambo is still good for Richmond's environment. No dusty meant clean air for Jack to earn more respect, while Bolton wasn't too shy to make a statement. The top dogs are now underdogs after a 22-point loss. Afternoons at the end of autumn can still produce sunburns, as Nathan Buckley found out on Saturday. Collingwood was as strong as balsa wood, while green wood was Gold Coast material of choice. He constructed everything and Alice was in Wonderland with 35 possessions and a goal. Miller took the ball from the Pies midfielders, which landed Pendlebury on his side bottom. Darcy needed to produce more and Jordan was to going nowhere all day. Buckley is the prince, but even he was thinking, big red Corbett was much too fast. You thought North was the most disappointing team of the year. Well, meet Pies, Gold Coast by 24 points. GWS were Hogan's heroes as they helped Jesse to four goals and a win on his club debut. Another three goals was just the tip of the Himmelberg, while it was like Christmas for tiny Tim Taranto, who was gifted 35 possessions. Taylor was too good for Walker, although the Texan booted two goals in the 67-point loss to the Giants. Sam could even read that this win may lead to the side hoppering up the ladder towards the eight. Nothing better than murdering the Crows in Adelaide. Back up the hill for Brad and his Saints as the Rat and Race to Finals is still alive. 
We thought the Hawks' inclusions would test St Kilda's memory, but Clarko was able to pull the trigger on his gunston. Hawthorne couldn't keep up with the Joneses either, as Zach was the greatest showman. The Hawks called the Cousins for this match, but would end up being stopped by a paddy wagon. Ryder's return was full of joy, as was the 69-point win. Excess McCluggage was a problem for Port on Saturday night, while Ken Hinckley's wines looked duty-free. It wasn't just Ollie, though, who actually played well, but the power found outlets are shaped differently in Brisbane. They were losing it at the source, with the Lions dominating in their natural habitat to restore the pride. It's now been four consecutive losses for Port against Brisbane, and fans are about to launch an anti-flat-track bullying campaign. Lions fans are happy, though. They Cameron and jump for joy with a 49-point win. Umps made mistakes on Saturday night, but not even abuse could help the Cats win. They were scratchy in front of the posts while Swans were McLean. Sydney fans wanted to give Hickey a kiss and Tom's fairy tale finish made sure they all lived happily ever after. Jezza Cameron was moody. Swans by two points. The D's almost forgot to turn up to their bye weekend in Tasmania and feeding the kangaroos looked to be the biggest attraction. North was cruising at one point and could nearly choose their winning margin. They just couldn't pick it. Cozzy kicked three while the Demons were Melbourne to run in the second half, kicking 10 goals to two. Jackson healed the D's world with his career-high game, and the fridge was left open for too long. What a waste of money. It looked <laughs> it looked a bit brown at one stage for Ben, but the X proved the grass is actually greener on the other side. D's by five goals. Due to it being a day game, full-strength Carlton could be served up at the G. They spilled a fair bit in the opening half, but were able to walsh down a win with a side of tasty Crips and a big Mac up forward. Betts finally went all in and kicked three, and while the Bombers fans first thought they got their tip and woody right, not even a well-paid hooker could distract the Blues from their Cunningham plan. Oh well, that's what happens when you can't win on merit. Lose by 16 points. And finally, we had the Derby, although it was pretty much a one-horse race. There were no fans at the stadium, which was probably why the pressure was so hot. Kelly didn't stop, Kennedy was making the Eagles rock, and the biggest gap from the Dockers was letting Andrew get 35 possessions. The third quarter wrapped it up, and West Coast supporters knew she'd be right. No Oscar-winning performance this week, The Simpsons still popular. Eagles by 59 points. Wowee. Okay, today's guest is one of the most genius, brave and brilliant footballers the Carlton Footy Club has ever seen. A fan favourite for his courage and creativity, this man's famous long sleeves match the long list of achievements he's recorded over 25 years at the highest level as player and coach. He played 251 games for St Kilda and Carlton, was All-Australian in 2004, the Blues leading goal kicker in 2001, and won the Mark of the Year in 1999. This skinny superstar represented Australia in the International Rules Series three times, led in two grand finals, and went on to be an assistant coach at Carlton, Collingwood, and Gold Coast. As a competitor, he weighed in at 78 kilos and stood 184 centimetres tall, but there wasn't a player that could match the size of his heart. It's my great pleasure to welcome Mr. Matthew Skinny Lappin to the gym session. Maddie, how are you, mate? Wow. Wasn't expecting that. Uh, <laughs> did I do all that, really? You did, uh, mate. You know, the one, the one thing I remember the most out of that is you said I was 78 kilos. <laughs> I would have loved to have been 78 kilos when I played. I was a 73 kilos. 73, so was it? You gave me an extra five kilos there, so I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> thanks for those kind words. Uh, much appreciated. No worries, mate. Hey, what have you been up to? Because I've seen you, you're working at Hillcrest Christian College now. I think you've been part of uh, that documentary series they've had on KO. You've been coaching Southport Sharks. Looks like you're a very busy man. What's what's life like for Skinny Lappin these days? 
Yeah, I relocated uh, to the Gold Coast probably six or seven years ago, and um, I started working at the Gold Coast Suns. And when I finished there, um, my kids were obviously going to school up here, and we decided, my wife and I, that when we when we did move from Melbourne, we were going to stay up here long term. So um, I approached the school that, that my kids were at and said, well, you know, are you interested in looking at something where I can come in and help um, the school with my experiences in sport and coaching? And, um, you know, we've got a really innovative uh, principal and he had to think about it and, and, you know, jumped at the opportunity. So as I've been here, I think this is my fourth year at the school now, um, uh, the, the role's just grown each year and um, it's been beneficial for both the school, the students and myself. I really enjoy what I'm doing. Um, away from the school, I, um, I'm an assistant coach at the Southport Sharks and mm-hmm. um, that's been really good for uh, for me. I've still been able to stay at a high level of footy, um, which keeps me involved in the game, but um, it doesn't have the same level of of intensity that comes with the um, the AFL system. Mm, yeah, well, it's great though that you, you're getting back and you're helping so many people um, at the lower level and teaching them things from your your career. I guess for you, it started all back in Chilton. You played footy, cricket, basketball growing up with your brother Jason, and you had your cousin Nigel, who obviously played for the Lions. You were good at all sports, but what was the reason you chose to pursue footy? What, what was it about the game that you loved? I just think I grew up with it. Um, the town I grew up in was a little country town, and it was cricket in summer and footy in winter and a bit of basketball in between. And um, all my mates, we just grew up playing the game. Our whole the town we grew up in revolved around the spring club. So it was just a, the best possible place to, to be raised. Um, you know, and footy was a huge part of that. So I've got an older brother, obviously, Nigel, you spoke about. A lot of our friends, um, you know, we all just grew up playing footy together and... Um, I, I owe a lot to, to that upbringing because I reckon, you know, we were hours and hours a day, we would be, you know, trying to take speckies on each other and yeah. kicking goals and all that sort of stuff um, on every break and or after school. And I, I, whilst I was just having fun then, I was accumulating thousands of hours of skill development. So um, that was really beneficial for what, what ended up being, um, you know, a, a really good lead up to the career I had. Hey, was it true when um, St Kilda, the, I think it was recruiting officer at the time, Wayne Hughes, when he came to your house with, if, before the 93 draft, your dad thought he was asking about your brother and not you? We'll be back after a quick break. That was my mum, yeah. Oh, your mum, um, was it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they rang up and said, oh, we'd love to speak to Matt. You know, it's, it's, I think it was um, Wayne Hughes or John Beveridge, I'm not sure which yeah, one it yeah. was, but they rang up and said, can we speak to, to Matt? We want to talk to him about, you know, coming to St Kilda, maybe, and 
my mum's initial response to that was, are you sure you don't mean Jason? Uh, <laughs> so she wasn't quite as confident um, in my abilities. Yeah, so that was um, a little bit of a kick in the, kick in the guts from my mum. But at that stage, my brother, you know, he was playing in a higher league. He was winning uh, league and or club best and fairest and stuff. So um, he was quite a decorated junior, um, and I was following in his footsteps a little bit. But, um, yeah, no, I'm not even mum thought I was going to make it, but um, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, so you arrive at St Kilda, I think you're 17 at the time, and about 63 kilos. Uh, <laughs> you've never you've never made a meal or washed clothes before, you said. How, how fast did you have to grow up? Yeah, well, I suppose, and that's probably another reason why my mum had doubts. Like mm. I was, I was so, you know, I, I was like a jockey weight. I was so mm. small and um, skinny, uh, and I was massively underdeveloped in life. Um, I lived a, a really sheltered life in the town I grew up in, and as you said, mum had done everything my whole life. So yeah, it was it was a sink or swim um, moment, and it was hard work, but um. You know, I reckon it, it was a really important part of my journey um, in going from a 17-year-old kid from the bush to 18-year-old um, playing league footy, surrounded by guys like Nicky Winmar, Stuart Lowe, Spud Frawley, Robert yeah. Harvey. You know, you're talking about greats of the game. So, you know, when you when, when you go from being a kid at school to being their teammates in three months' time, it's um, it's a big step in your life and. You know, I made some mistakes, no doubt about that. I was I was learning every every time, every day. I was learning from a lot of mistakes, um, but it was a really important part of the journey, and um, I wouldn't change it. Some of my best mates from footy are, are my Saints mates. Um, we had a really good time, but we um, we forged some really good friendships mm. in those days. Yeah, it seemed like a really strong group. I mean, three seasons in, you make the 97 grand final. Uh, you you win the, the last seven games of the season um, and finish on top of the ladder over Geelong. But I think you said previously that you felt the club didn't really know how to be successful at the time. Obviously, the last grand final was 1971 and yeah. um, they hadn't really experienced final, finals or, or they've experienced finals but not grand finals. Do you think that day... Um, overawed the playing group a little bit and the result might have been different if there was more experience around grand finals? Uh, I've got no no doubt in my mind that uh, we didn't handle the week leading up to it right. Um, and I know that because when I got to Carlton two years yeah. later, I could immediately see the difference in the way the two clubs handled it. Yeah. Um, because Carlton, obviously, they get there all the time. So they they know what to expect and they know what's required in the lead up and on the day. Whereas St Kilda, we had, I felt like 15,000 people at training on Thursday night yeah. um, before the grand final, which is just insane. Um, and nobody in our team had played in the grand final before, I think, from memory. So nobody knew, or there was no one there that could share their experiences. Mm. So the whole week, ticketing, family requests, getting accommodation, parade, seven fifteen thousand people are training, am I gonna get a game? Um, you know, there was just so much and then we had some off field issues going into that game that, you know, threw our team out a bit. So we just yeah I know personally, speaking from personal experience, it was the worst game of footy I ever played as an individual. Um, and I you know, I I don't blame the lead up, but I definitely think that it played a part in me 
um, not being prepared as well as I would normally have been. And it took me to go through that to learn and, and not let that happen when I, you know, when I got a second chance at it. Yeah, well, you, yeah, well, you got the second chance in, in 99, obviously. But at the end of the 98 season, is it true that you found out you were, uh, the Blues were interested in you after watching the news with your housemate? Is that, is that how you found true out? True story. Yeah? Yeah, true story. <laughs> Joel Smith and I lived together. Joel had left for Hawthorne maybe 12 months before, I think, yeah. after he did his knee. And we were sitting there watching Steve Quartermain on the news, Channel 10 Sport. And then it popped up and said, Carlton have made a, a, a bid for... Um, St Kilda's Matthew Lappin and the, the deal's going to be done whatever it was and then you know so I looked at him my mate and gone what what what, what is going on here <laughs> yeah. and then about 10 or 15 minutes later my manager rang me and said yeah this is a chance to happen you, you need to come and meet David Parkin and Sticks Kernan or whoever it was and on the next morning at 6.30 or something in the morning it was meant to be um, so yeah, it was that's how I found out. And look, it's not, you know, back then, things weren't. I mean, we were starting to get into the more professional state. I mean, that wasn't handled. You shouldn't be finding out like that. But it wasn't wasn't as big a deal as it would be today in today's footy. So um, yep. it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So yeah, uh, I got no regrets about it. So yeah, what what was that like though when you you step into the Carlton environment for the first time. You got the likes of Craig Bradley, Brett Ratton, Kudafidi, Silvani, obviously David Park, and you mentioned four-time premiership coach. You must have been pretty different to the uh, St Kilda environment. Yeah, it was just it was it was definitely different. The the, the environment was different. The expectations were different. The standards were different. Um, not to say that St Kilda's weren't at the right level. It was just different because of the the sustained success, and you were surrounded by successful footballers and staff members and coaches and so it was just different um you know even you know we played in the grand final my first year there 99 but you know early on in the year we we weren't going that well and I think we just scraped into the bottom part of the eight or whatever it was then and we worked our way through the finals just you could just feel like there was this confidence and this era aura sorry aura about um when you play football for Carlton in finals in, in that stage, then um, the expectation was you were going to perform well. Um, yeah. And, the, you know, a the, the club like that, there was, as soon as I got there, I, kept, I, I heard stories about guys like um, Wayne Johnson, you know, the dominator, who went, whenever he played finals, he just lifted, you know. And then, I heard a lot of those stories from a lot of guys like that. And um, it was something that, um, you know, really... Uh, resonated with me because I'd had such a bad experience in the 97 grand final that I swore to myself that if I ever got into a big game like that again, I would never let that happen. And I felt like from that day on, you know, a lot of the games against SNM when I played for Carlton and, you know, big finals, I felt like um, I wanted to be like Wayne Johnson in those instances and make sure that I was a big game player. And I, you know, I, I, that's one of the things I'm, most proud of about my career is I felt like in some of those big games after that 97 grand final, I felt like I was a really good contributor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you had had a great game in that 99 grand final. But before that, I mean, you said that the, the culture and the messages resonated with you from the very start. You've become a fan favourite. First game for Carlton, first round of the 99 season, first quarter, you take mark of the year against Essendon. Right pocket to be in. High ball, not going to be a goal. Big... 
spanking. <laughs> Sensational, man. <laughs> oh, can't beat that for the rest of the year. I've watched the vision about 100 times, but I love your reaction after you take the mark too. Are you just letting Judd Lalich know how good it was or were you laughing at just about the moment? What was it? No, no, it, that was just pure joy. Yeah. Like There was nothing training to the opposition or... Yeah. There was no smart remarks to Lalich or Hurd or Wallace or anyone who was in the yeah. area. It was, it was, that was purely, you couldn't write a script better <laughs> than that. You've been traded to a club. Your first act, the first piece of action, the first time I touched the ball for that footy club, I think it was anyway, it was in the first 10 minutes of the first quarter. Uh, that's the first, my first act in a Carlton jumper. Like that, you can't write a script better than that. That was just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget that. I, I can still... I still picture that moment like it happened yeah. um, yesterday, and it's in, it's almost in slow motion. It's one of those things that that I can still feel the whole the moment, um, which is you know it's, I don't know how long that's going to last for me. I'm sure as I get older that'll fade, but um, for now I'm, I'm really proud of that, yeah. that that moment. Was it just instinctive when you when you go up for marks oh, like no that? Doubt. Yeah, no doubt. That's you know that's just sea ball get ball, but that that's born about you know all those years in high school and jumping on my brother's shoulders or jumping on my mate's shoulders and trying to take hangers in the playground. That's, that's where it came from. That, that, that wasn't, that, that wasn't foreign to me. I'd done that over and over again in junior footy and, um, in the schoolyard. So that, that, that was a familiar feeling for me. That's why uh, it was just the moment, the fact that it was such, you know, the first thing I'd done for Carlton was like, wow, you, you, how could you possibly script that? Mm. Is it framed in your house at all? Have you got it framed somewhere? Um, when I worked at the Suns, I got a Chris Kringle present, yeah. a little, you know, a small sized one that somebody gave to me and uh, it sat on my desk um, at work. I didn't want it to. That was obviously, they were taking the mickey out of me, but uh, <laughs> that, that sits in my son's bedroom okay. on a shelf. But no, it's that, that's all. Don't really. I'm. I'm not one to display that stuff. But um, maybe one day when my kids get a bit older, or or you know, learn a bit more about footy, they might want to see some of that stuff. But at the moment, it's not not really something. Yeah, definitely, mate. Get it blown up. Love it. Uh, that, <laughs> that season, um, you play in your second grand final, like you mentioned. It's it's Carlton's last grand final since, but not before that amazing preliminary final now the dons went into that i think they were a dollar 18 favorites and you mentioned that you know you, you came from behind or you were the underdogs you lost i think to the bombers by 12 goals previously in the season david parkin calls you a b-grade side you're down at three-quarter time you go on to win one of the best games of all time can you tell me about that moment yeah i think um you're right a dollar 18 in a two-horse race in a prelim <laughs> final would be extremely rare but um i think we I think we controlled the game in the first half, uh, but then Essendon dominated the game. Maybe it was we. Maybe we controlled the first quarter, and then Essendon controlled quarters two and three. But they couldn't put us away on the scoreboard. They they didn't kick accurately, and and then that that allowed us to be just in front or in striking distance. And then it took a some, you know like a the Cooters last quarter is. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't. I'm a super coach fan. I'd imagine that'd be a hundred plus super coach quarter. What he did in that 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 last quarter was absolutely phenomenal. Eight or nine possessions, five or six contested marks, two goals. I mean, it's stuff of legend, and it takes efforts like that to win a game. You know, when you're a dollar eighteen underdog in a prelim final. So 
um, yeah, we did enough to hang around with some good play early and then they couldn't put us away with some bad kicking and then it was just some special performances in the last quarter and, um, you know, we, we played some good footy in that game. I, th- I feel like we deserved to be in the grand final mm-hmm. and we, you know, there was moments in the grand final when we were thereabouts, but in the end, you know, we just weren't good enough. Mm. Well, that get, because I like hearing you say that you'd never let it happen again in a grand final because you did perform very well. You had 19 disposals. You kicked two goals. I know a lot of players say, um, despite you playing well, a lot of people say they'll never get over their grand final losses. You played in two. Do they still hurt now? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think about them often and think about, well, you know, if, if we'd have won a flag together, we'd be in constant contact and annual, you know, annual gatherings or, you know, every decade, whatever it is, reunions, all that sort of stuff. Um, but we didn't get over the line and, and then you sort of drift off into the, you know, the past. Of it. So you know, there's a lot, you know, and you only ever stay in contact with three or four of your, your best mates. Whereas if you're premiership teammates, you're, you know, you're that for, for life. So that, you know, I think about that often. And so, so there's a lot of footballers, um, no doubt about that. But, um, you know, unfortunately, I never got to experience the ultimate, but I still feel like, um, you know, I still feel like it was a successful career given um, the experiences I had. Oh, 100%. And you went on to play 196 with Carlton, obviously 251 all up. But 2004, you get the All-Australian call-up. I think you moved into defence a, a year earlier. In 2004, you're averaging about 20 disposals a game, rebounding brilliantly. You have a great season. But I've heard you say that 2001, that year you won the uh, club's uh, leading goal kicker award, that was your best year of football. What, why is that? Uh, yeah, I, I think that was... Easily my best year of footy because when you when you're playing as a small forward, um, it's, you virtually get tagged every week because that that was back when you know you had matchups. Um, so the, a defender or a tagger was set for me most weeks um, as a forward, and to have the year I had that year um, when I was you know had a target on my back, um, obviously rate that year a lot higher than the. Um, 2004 Australian year because I went, when you play back back's the easiest spot in the game to play I was playing um, as a rebounding zoning defender before mm-hmm. you know now it's everyone's doing it um, you know back then there was only a few players at each side who might have done it um, so it's a lot easier to play back than it is forward if, if I'm on a player and I'm a defender and I think my player's going to a stupid spot then I don't even follow him I just go and win the ball that's what that's how you teach players to zone defend, and, yeah. and I was doing that back then. So it's a lot easier. Yeah. Whereas as a forward, if I thought the ball was going somewhere, then my defender would have been right on my back trying to bash me. Mm-hmm. When you're 73 kilos, um, <laughs> it's a bit of a challenge. So I had to, I had to be crafty. I had to, I had to, you know, work out ways to still have an impact. Um, you know, usually carrying someone on my back. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's not like it's not like midfielders, I suppose, who who go to stoppages and they're in congestion and they can lose players through traffic. I had to find ways to, and that's why I relied a lot on my marking. Uh, I I felt like, you know, marking was a really big part of how I could get um, the advantage on my opponents. And I I think the other thing was I I didn't rely on a huge amount of possessions. I I wanted to be um, deadly or, or stealth with, you know, the possessions I got. I needed to, 
I needed to have score involvement, so either mm. you know score assists or, or score kick scores from you know because I was wasn't getting huge numbers, but I just needed to make sure I had a, I had an impact when I had the ball. Yeah, well, one of those games you did have an impact was that year in in two thousand and one. It was Craig Bradley's three fiftieth. That was probably one of my favourites. Sticks in my memory as one of um, your best performances. Year twenty four disposals, five goals. Two of them were trademark snaps, crumbing goals, and then that insane soccer kick from the from the boundary line. And you were trailing by two goals late in the final term, uh, and you kicked it at final two uh, goals of the game. You win by seven points, three Brownlow votes, and Craig Bradley gets a nice three hundred fiftieth present. Where does that game sit for you? Yeah, massive. I lo- love Brattles. He's one of my favourite teammates. He's football royalty, Carlton royalty. Um, played golf with Brattles. Good teammate. Lo- and, and just to be able to, yeah, help out a little way in um, in a milestone like that is, is, is a great memory for mine. It's probably my second favourite home and away game. Yeah. Um, my favourite home and away game was, I think, Mick Mansfield's 200th or 250th. I'm not sure what it was. Again, against Essendon. Driving to the game, I think we lost Cuda, Soss, and, and maybe Brattles or Rats, not sure who it was. We had three really key outs, and I thought, oh, we're going to be in trouble here, but um, we got up off the canvas and had a really big win. I'm sure it was McMansfield's milestone game. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that sits as my favourite because we were massively undermanned, mm-hmm. um, but got the job done for a, a, a teammate, which is really important. So, because I, I had a lot of milestones because I played. 50 games at St Kilda I, get, I had the 50 game milestone there and then I have 50 game milestones 100 game milestones and so forth all the way through at Carlton and I don't think I won one milestone game <laughs> so um, that that was um, you know that, that, that sort of sits with me a bit yeah. but um, that's why it's so good to be able to play a little bit of a role in, um, in my teammates milestone victories yeah. Hey did you did you ever get an offer to go to Richmond in 2002? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I was, I was really close to going. Um, in fact, I, I was, I was gone. I was going, except they extended the deadline by twenty four hours. Oh. I had a really good relationship with Wayne Britton. Yeah. Um, and he he had gone to Richmond, and he approached me. Um, I'm not sure if we were going through. Um, salary cap issues or not there um, we were asked to take some pay cuts or what it was I'm not sure I can't really remember that part but Brits approached me uh, he's my favourite coach ever I had so much respect for him mm. he was assistant to Spud Frawley and I played for Spud at St Kilda and um, I think that's right and um, it's a long time ago now and yeah I was prepared to go but the AFL gave the trade or whatever it was extension um it gave the deadline an extension by 24 hours and in that 24 hours Sticks Kernahan and a few other blokes got to me and um, convinced me to stay uh, and in, in the end I think it was the right thing and I'm, I'm really proud of that decision to stay because yeah. um, like as much as I love Brits I don't think um, in hindsight it would have been a good move for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was meant to be because you're a you're a Carlton Carlton champion, and everyone uh, at the Blues obviously loves you. You were just four games short of that 200th game for Carlton. Um, was it a was it really a baby stroller that led to the uh, beginning of the end? Oh, that, that was the truth. I, I that jumped, was the truth. I yeah. Whether I jumped out of the shower or whatever, but I was yeah. walking down the hallway, and one of my daughter's strollers was in the hallway, and I bent down just to move it to the side because it was in the way or whatever, yeah. and. And I clicked something in my back, um, 
So, I mean, that just kept me out of that one game. Okay. Yeah. And I probably could, I could have played if if I absolutely needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were this, our season was gone. It was a chance to have a look at a, a young player, and then um, you know the decision was made from there that that um, they were going to go in a different direction. Which, in hindsight. Um, uh, in hindsight, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed. And I still feel I had I had more footy to give. I was yeah. young. I was I'd played under it was Dennis Pagan's game plan for five years that didn't really suit me because it was you know, as a forward it was the ball was funneling through Favola and uh, I was a marking forward who wasn't get you know wasn't getting utilised much. So once once Dennis was moved on and Rats came in, even if you look at the stats back then, my, my total game changed under Rats. I went back to being a 20-possession-a-game player, and one or two goals and a couple of goals. So I still felt like I had plenty more to give. A bit like Kate Simpson, I, you know, I was built like that. I could have played for another three or four years, I reckon. And um, you know, uh, But it wasn't to be. Rats wanted to go down the youth path. Um, he softened the blow by offering me a job. Um coaching so um i took that and mm. the rest is history yeah so I, I just wanted to know how, how those conversations go for you it must have been really difficult obviously rats was a um a teammate of yours and i know you said that soften the blow to give you the coaching role but how difficult was that a time in your life to have those conversations and make it make a decision like that i guess not to go elsewhere yeah yeah it was it was hard I, I totally understood that. Like, I, I was very, I'm a realist. I understood mm. the club wanted to go in that different direction. Um, and that was that was what they did at those days. You know, if, if you slightly passed you, what they thought was your use-by date and you, you were rebuilding or whatever, then it was, uh, get rid of all the old blokes and get as much youth in as possible. So, you know, I, I was the one who suffered you know, on the end of that. So, um, yeah, look, I probably could have had a look at other clubs, but I don't. I, I probably didn't want to, you know, the fear of getting rejected and not getting picked up um, was probably enough for me to just take the coaching job and move on with the rest of my life, which I was happy enough to do at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but it wasn't until I look so, back and think, oh, yeah, I probably had, I probably had more in my body. I probably had more to go, but um, yeah. you know, that that can't can't turn back time. Yeah, well, but people have um, I've spoken to have said you had a real impact on them as a, as an assistant, as a development coach, and I guess the way you thought about the game was different to others. You've obviously said that um, your reading of the play was extremely um, important, and it was not you weren't physically as strong as some of your opponents, so you needed to think about the game differently in order to have an impact. Does that type of thinking? Um, does that help you in your coaching and your development now? Because not all players are, are built to coach, obviously. Yeah, no, no question. Um, to be the size I was, and then extract what I did out of my career, and I had to, I had to use my brain. And I find now with my coaching that, um, particularly with young kids, young girls, I do a lot of coaching for young girls up here in Queensland, and, and I spend a lot of time teaching them that yes, they need to do the fundamentals. But m- my advantage with coaching them is that I can teach them how to use their brain. So. Um, I do spend a lot of time doing that, um, and I think it's a it's a real advantage, particularly with the young kids. Because the further down the line you get from AFL footy, the less they teach um, about the actual IQ of the game. It's 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 all about kick, mark, handball, tackle, bounce, mm. spoil. The, the lower you get, whereas I think 
I think we need to teach all of that stuff plus the brain um, because the game of footy is all about decisions. Every every step you take in a game of footy, you should be making a decision with who's got the ball, where's it going, what's the wind doing, is he a left footer, is he a right footer, um, can, is he going to run and bounce, has he got space in front of him, is, he gonna, is there going to be a spoiler? Like, there's so many decisions to be made that you need that needs to be trained. Um, so the more decision-making stuff that you can get into your training sessions at any level, I think the better it's going to hold your players um, in the moment of the game. So I've got a philosophy on training, and it is whatever you're going to experience in a game, you need to have experienced in training. So mm. I would I plan my whole training programs around that. As it may, and there's always going to be something that you can't plan for, but yep. the, more, the more I can put my players into positions at training, that I know they're going to experience in a game, then the better prepared they're going to be for it. Yeah. And and running from cone to cone and kicking from cone to cone, that's not that you don't get that in a game. So that sort of stuff is whilst it's good for your fundamental skill development, it's not going to help you in a game. Mm. No, I love that. Are you ever going to look at being a senior AFL coach? No. No. And what's the reason for no. that? No. Uh, it, it takes a certain type of person yeah. <laughs> to do that job, and and I'm not it. No. Um, I'm not it. I'm, I'm, I'm really comfortable with my understanding and knowledge of the game and um, tactical awareness of the game, but uh, there's a there's a whole other part of the game that that you know that I'm not built for, um, and I'm I'm cool with that. I'm happy with that. I'm I'm really happy now that I'm out of the system. I loved my time in it, and mm. I'd never say I wouldn't get back into it in some way, shape, or form. But I feel like I've found a really good niche myself doing what I'm doing I, I, in, you know if I, if I had my time again and I was an AFL footballer I'd definitely be a teacher yep. um, I love interacting with the kids and, and watching them grow and develop and um, you know it's, it's a, so I'm, I'm in a really good spot here where I am at the moment so I'm happy yeah no, I love that. Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk about your career Skinny I was just wondering if you got time can I ask you a few things about the footy today get your takes yeah, on that. Yeah, sure, no worries. Awesome. Yeah. I've got this little segment. It's called Skinny's Thick Takes. And you're just going to give yep. me your opinion on a, on a few things. Now, I know the one thing I love about you, I look at you on Twitter as well, is that you're not scared to say what you feel. So just uh, give it no. to me straight, all right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, easy one first. Does footy on a Friday night start too late? <laughs> you know that. I've <laughs> tweeted that. It is way too late. Families go to bed. And I get hassled by the West Australians. Well, guess what? You're the minority. Yep. Cater for the majority, <laughs> 7.50, half an hour too late. Yeah, I agree. Love it. Uh, should Nathan Buckley coach out the rest of the 2021 season? Absolutely he should, and he should coach into the next decade. Um, he's a awesome coach, ripper guy. Um, he's had his last three years they've played finals. He was a kick off a grand final, uh, premiership. Um, that what's going on there is not all he's doing. He's got a part to play in it, but um, he's a good coach, and I would be backing him. He will, you know what? He's the, he's mm. such a good guy that once he knows or thinks he's lost the players, yep. he will walk. Okay. He's a, he's as um, he's as stand up a guy as you get. Mm. I love it. In two thousand and seven, speaking after your retirement, you said this about Carlton. There's a lot of good kids out there. They have another draft this year and another batch of kids. They, they're going to have that many good kids. The only way they could stuff it up is if they stuff it up themselves. Did they stuff it up? Of course they have. They still haven't played finals yet. Mm. Oh, they have, but it was by default. Um, 
Yeah, no question. Like even now, there's enough. There's the, the talent is there. So, when, and stuffing it up, there's so many things that go into that. That you know, there's hours and hours of discussions on that. But there's the talent is there. They've got to find a way to make it work. And I've got my theories on why that is. But um, you can share them if you like. Well, it's going to take too long, mate. Because <laughs> as I said, there's so much. Yeah. There's so much they've got to do. Like even at the right at the moment, like Sam Walsh. Look what he's doing. He's a kid and he's a star and he's going past how many players. Yeah, he's going past that many players in his team because he wants it more than them. So, um, you know, there's some guys there who who are not quite um, desperate enough or want it bad enough to make it happen yet. So I still think yeah, they can. It's a mental thing, you think? The majority uh, of it's, it. It's, it's everything. It's mental. Yeah. It's physical. It's, yeah. it's everything. But okay. at the end of the day, they've got to make it happen. They can't wait for Tiggy to wave a wand or mm-hmm. Sticks to come down and give them a speech. It, it, the talent is there. It's time, and we've, it's been time for a little while. They're, yep. they're ready to go. We just got to make it happen. Yep. What is the biggest factor leading to Gold Coast not being able to retain players? And do you see it changing? You've been there as an assistant, um, so injuries, injuries, injuries has been the biggest issue. So, and injuries come about because of lack of resilience. So, my time there, um, when I got there, I, I felt like I walked into a, a VFL club there. Their training standards and expectations were that low. I'd just come from Collingwood, which was a really good organisation. Um, so I wasn't surprised that they broke down all the time because they didn't train anywhere near an acceptable level. Um, we spent some time working on that. And then guys like Lynch and all those guys had had enough of losing, so they left. I worry now that the same thing will happen. I don't think it will. I think the right pieces are in place. I know that. I've seen them. I watch them train and how hard they prepare. I feel like they're a much more resilient group. If they can get an ounce of luck with injury, um, I think they're resilient enough. And I've got no question. I've got no doubts that they will be okay. It's too. I believe it's Tuke Miller's team there now. He's the one who's driving um, their standards and 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 their culture. And I think that if they follow his lead, they will be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, will Richmond win the three peat? No. No, uh, history says they won't. Yep. So I'm going to back history in here, yep. uh, but they are looking ominous. Yeah, who's, who's your pick ominous. then? Uh, I would have said Port, but they've sort of dropped off the perch a little bit last week. It was a poor performance from then. Oh, it's too early to call. I'm not really. I don't. I don't know who, but I just think that history says it's really it's too hard to win three. So, mm-hmm. but having said that. There's no reason why they can't. They're they're um they're in good shape. They're listed at a great age. They're well coached. They're well drilled, and they they play for each other. Last one was footy better to watch during your playing days, and why? If it was, uh, I don't think I don't know if it was better to watch. It was better to play. Yeah. Um, I, I I I think as people want to watch scores. People want to watch score. People score. So there's nothing more exciting in the game of footy than a guy kicking eight goals mm. or a girl kicking eight goals. But nobody cares if the mid gets 40 possessions because they all do that. No one plays on anyone in there. Whereas when you get a guy kicking a bag of goals, that's that, there's, that's the most exciting thing in footy. So I've been in coaches' boxes. I've been in match committee rooms. I've been in those rooms where all they do is talk about how are we going to stop the, you know, how are we going to defend, how are we going to defend, yeah. how are we going to defend. Um, and, and until that balance shifts, that, 
that coaches say, no, how are we going to score? How are we going to score? How are we going to score? And they train that, then I think the game is going to stay. Not, not, it's not boring. Don't get me wrong. I love the game. Yeah. I love the game. But, but we all want to see more scores. It, it, a game that's 120 to 110 is so much better than 70 to 90. Um, so if we can just find a way to free scoring up a bit more, that would be great. Love it. That was Skinny's Thick Takes. And uh, what an addition, brilliant, mate. Hey, with all my guests, I know it sounds like I'm just trying to keep you on here longer, and, I'm, and I kind of am, but I, I end off with 10 quick questions. Um, the first thing that pops to your head, you tell me, and then uh, and then I can finally let you go back to class. All right? Yeah, oh, can you hear the rain? It's raining hard here. Bloody hell. <laughs> all right, 10 quick questions. Uh, right. Your, your favourite food? Uh, roast. Your favourite movie? Uh, don't watch many movies. No, you've got me there. No, nothing. 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 No, don't watch movies. Too many kids. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, maybe Toy Story then. A uh, favourite current AFL player? Uh, Sam Walsh. Mm. Which coach had the biggest influence on you? Uh, you mentioned this. Wayne Britton. Yeah. Wayne Britton. Yep. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Gold Coast. Gold Coast. You're loving life. That's what I like to hear. Uh, you've got a spare Sunday afternoon to do anything you want. What are you doing? Golf followed by dinner with my family. Yep. Good. What makes you angry? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, kids that cut corners. Yep. All right. What are the worst player to play against during your career? Hardest. Hardest. Yep. Hardest. Uh, Gavin Wanganeen. Gavin Wanganeen. Yep. I imagine. Uh, your favourite quote? Ooh. Um, I like your I like your training. One. Can you say your training one again? That your theory. Oh, on yeah, training? okay, yeah, yeah. So my philosophy, yeah. my philosophy on training is whatever your whatever a player is going to experience in the game, they should have already experienced the training. Yeah, that's my training. I love that. I love that. I should tweet it. You should tweet that, and I might reshare it. That'd be good. <laughs> uh, last one. Your favourite teammate of all time? Uh, Adrian Hickman. Adrian Hitler. No question. Yeah? What was so good about he him? Spent, Great bloke? He spent, he spent half his game trying to bash my opponent, <laughs> and I'll never ever forget him for it. I love him. I love it, mate. And uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, Matty. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I've, uh, I love watching your career and I've loved listening to your takes post-footy as well. And everyone I speak to says you're a, you're a great man who cares a lot about developing them as a person and player. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate the kind words. Have a good day. No worries, mate. You too. Here we go, fellas. Time for my second favourite. I was about to say favourite, but you know it's my second favourite part of the show. It is time for the Monday review panel on a Wednesday this week. So one extra day for our listeners uh, to wait. So apologies for that. Hey, boys, we had nearly 40,000 listeners last week. So, Nico, thanks for uh, putting that link in your Tinder bio. Got us a a few more listens. And Gordo, thanks for sharing it around. Boys, how are we? Very good, mate. We're global in training, as they want to see it this time. You know, it takes a couple of takes a couple of weeks for the contenders yeah. to rise to the top, and now you know the, we're reaching yeah. form just as the Premiership contenders are reaching form. So that's, that's right, it. and you're still well and truly the cane corns of the show because people are listening just to hear what opinions you've got. They're strong opinions because you don't sit on the fence much, and the abuse has been flowing, and we'll uh, get to that shortly. Hey, uh, Nico, 
Yeah. I want to know who your hero was of the weekend. There was a few. I, I my last couple have been Gold Coast players, and been. I had and to I thought this try week my very would best, especially be a Gold Coast. Oh player. mate, there was a couple there. There was Brandon Ellis, more than he a had couple. Thirty-five disposals, ninety-seven percent efficiency. There was yeah. Greenwood, twelve clearances. Took Miller, but Corbett. I, I did my best, and I fished out someone else from the other games, Ooh. and I've gone with Bailey Fritch because he did oh, kick six the Fritch goals. Magnet. Six goals, he did bag. Six goals against North. I know it was against North, but yeah. he's been playing some good footy this year and he's already kicked 18 for the season and he's quickly becoming a problem for teams. Uh, mm. With Ben Brown in the side now, Wiedemann, he's not far away either. He's keeping Wiedemann um, out, isn't he? He is. But, yeah. you know, with those inclusions, it, it would normally mean the attention would sway away from players like Fritch, but that would just make it make him all the more dangerous. And uh, it showed on the week weekend and look in Melbourne's premiership tilt this season he's going to be a key clog mm. on the side he's, he's been impressive and Melbourne have been as well and there was always that game coming where you thought um, they might let one slip like the doggies did on the weekend but Melbourne they had a, a pretty bad first half against North I thought North were, were, were okay they were impressive but Melbourne was better than previous weeks better than previous weeks be but Melbourne wasn't too flash but they just got the job done in the end they did what they had to Nicholas that's it Gordo who was your hero uh, my hero was Jesse Hogan. We we love a good comeback story. We love people overcoming the odds, and we just love people enjoying their footy as well. Mm. And that's all three things happened this Hogan week with hero. Uh, the Hogan Hogan's heroes. Yeah. So good to see a person that did a tough like, last couple of seasons come up. He did find some fun back in his footy. He's enjoying being out of the spotlight. Well, he's in the spotlight now. My apologies, Jesse. And uh, yeah. yeah, kicked four, took some big marks up there, showed some, showed some bit of bit of leg speed. Shattered he's probably back to almost full fitness, and so fingers crossed he can help fill that Jeremy Cameron sized hole for the Giants and uh, progress them up the ladder, and maybe take that last spot in the eight. Oh, maybe they, they so did look good. They did the look Giants. good. Their best is they, very good. They smashed Again, Adelaide. Yes, the caveat is Adelaide did yeah. stink, and it's the real Adelaide coming. It, it coming is to fruition, but, but well, you know, yeah. You only beat who you who you play against, isn't that right? That's it. That and is true. Have you dominant. changed your opinion on the Giants then, Gordo? Because um, you've you've abused them all year. You've abused their coach, and you've thought he's uh, he hasn't done a good job, and he should be out of that place. But they've put in some good form, and the youngsters are, are kind of performing when they've got a lot of outs. Let's not forget their outs, and so a performance like that is very impressive. Yeah, I don't they know could have won by more. They could have picked their margin at the end. I I don't know if the coaching's changed all that much, but and I think the injuries have forced. Leon Cameron into a into a corner here, like he has to play the young kids because you know if you got a long injury list, that's what happens. So, but it, the young, to their credit, the young kids are taking taking it and saying like, we want to be are. AFL footballers, we want to be at this mm. club, let's yep. go. Mm. And so I think potentially, you know, freshening up the leadership positions, freshening up the, the playing list a little bit is going to help them and say, if you want to be here, prove it. And I think yeah. they're doing it so far. And that interesting thing about um, Hogan as well is that Riccardi was he hasn't gotten back in the side. He played it in defense in the VFL in the weekend. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there because he's a he's, he's a real talent, Riccardi, but Jesse Hogan now into the side is maybe keeping him out. So maybe Riccardi could look elsewhere um, for another spot next year at a different team. We'll see if Hogan keeps continuing his form. Interesting yeah, call. Don't mind uh, that. Nico, what was your highlight? Oh, 
it Other has than to the be Hawks getting pumped. You <laughs> love that. It's a low light, but <laughs> it has to be the game of the round, doesn't it? Sydney Geelong. Uh, it was a brilliant watch on a Saturday night. Yeah, hands down. Um, it was an upset, of course. Who would have picked uh, the Swans getting up over the Cats, especially after Geelong absolutely annihilated West Coast last week? Mm-hmm. But you know, it goes to show a week is a long time in footy, and all credit has to go to Sydney. Uh, they got convincingly beaten in all facets of the game. Every facet, except the scoreboard so accuracy that was the only thing that's it but they continue to keep that scoreboard pressure up and they stole it right at the death and they literally left left Geelong a couple of seconds short uh to snatch that lead back so the human hickey was very um very impressive he was good yeah stanley and young mclean up forward kicking four goals and they would they just they weren't just four goals they were all like crucial times he was keeping at the same time if Geelong executed they would have. They could have smashed them, and oh, they dropped of off in the second half. They of had. Oh, it was ridiculous how how much they dominated and just couldn't yeah. execute. So, as a Geelong fan, I wouldn't even be that annoyed with a performance like that. The performance was there; it was just the execution. That's would right. you be annoyed, Gordo, with what happened at the end of the game, with the, that umpiring decision? They called it not fifteen while it was halfway in the air. I heard and, touched off the boot. Oh, no, it wasn't oh, touched off. The I, boot. I know it wasn't, but yeah. oh, that's what I heard. I thought I heard the umpire you say. You do hear it. things weird and things if, in your head. It was a bit of the rule of the round, so it wasn't just that game. I feel like these situations get taken out in isolation. Like they, that, the coach came out. Chris Scott said it didn't hey, cost I was us. Impressed with, it with didn't, Chris didn't cost Scott us the game. What, what yeah, cost no, us the game was was appalling. Well, he had to. He had to after what he said after the the Brisbane game early in the season. He was defending the umpire, so it would have looked a bit sus if he defended against round two and. Went against them. It could have that night. it could have saved them the game, but it didn't cost them the game because they cost yeah, themselves the game exactly. by not kicking. We don't know if Jeremy Cameron still, would have kicked it that, as well. That does annoy me. That pisses me off that the umps calling it halfway through the air though. Like but wait for it to land. How else do you adjudicate that? Wait for it to land. Adjudicate that rule. You wait for it to land. But then you don't. Then you have the situation where you can't call prior or anything like that as well. Like it just leads to uh, as soon as they mark it, it's play on. Yeah. Not that's, like that's it's hard how to call. It usually yeah, is. you can't I mean, call not fifteen while it's halfway in the air. It's a guessing game. He but still, it straight away. He, he called said, it straight. As soon as it, it was, left the it was boot, halfway. That's why I thought it was. Touched. No, it wasn't. It was halfway from its. Uh, it was very early. But it was very early. Yeah. It was. Hey, what was your highlight, Gordo? Uh, my highlight was the the Suns. The suns are rose in Melbourne, and we love sunshine in winter oh, in Melbourne because it's we very do. rare. Even on, on a cloudy day, Wednesday. Uh, in the it was warm though in Melbourne that day. It was, it was. warm. But clouds clouds couldn't cover the uh, the Gold Coast sun. That's that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, it's good to see the young young kids have some uh, some ticker and some polish, mm. and also some of the recycled players. So Brandon Ellis is having a career year oh, down man. the Suns, and it's good to see players like Greenwood, mm. like Ellis, Markov rejuvenate themselves at a club where they say you are veteran AFL footballers. Yep. Prove it to us and teach these young kids how to play the game. And the Suns got the job done. Yep. Against, albeit a very poor Pies side, but coming into that game, I think all of us probably were leaning towards tipping the Pies or probably did tip the Pies just thinking that the Suns don't travel yeah. well, they don't play well in Melbourne, and uh, they proved yeah. everyone wrong and, and said, and no, we can we can win on the road. And we'll yeah. get to Collingwood in a second, yeah. I'm sure, but um, just on the Gold Coast as well, yeah. I, I think um, we, we've been talking about their youngsters coming through and there is going to be a time when those youngsters start to peak and I think we're edging very closely to that time. That's right, but that's never been the problem, has it, Nico? The problem has been holding on to them. It's been retention. That's has, been the problem. It's never it, been youth that's been It the has problem. been, but yeah. I think they're turning the corner I hope in so. that area. I hope they do. I hope Players they like Raul Anderson, they seem committed. Yeah. Uh, Lacocious as well. 
And when you mix those in with the likes Rankin. of like, yeah, Elwood and your, and your um, Greenwoods, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, well, there's a reason to stay. Like there's a, there's a nice mix of youth, yeah, peak talent, and then veterans that kind of, yeah. And getting, the coach as well. I mean, I've oh, been really impressed. Yeah. It, not just the documentary, we've seen another glimpse of him, but he's always speaking to the media and he's very honest all mm. the time. He shares with what he's thinking and the players want to play for him. So it was really impressive on Saturday to see that. And also Greenwood mentioned that Took Miller is criminally underrated. And, and did I, thought, I not say that last did? week? No, I was about to mention it. Look at Mate. him jump in and make, oh, I told you so. Nick I off. know you did, which I was going to say, Nico, you've Nick been on about him for two years. <laughs> I have. He, and, he's a good player. He's yeah. just, he's a workhorse. Really. And like he, a bit of culture there now at the club too with the with the cries of Gold Coast echoing out the, the, <laughs> the, the 24,000. Well, it's 24,000 at the G and I reckon 20,000 20, left at three-quarter time. So it's about 4,000 left just chanting Gold Coast. I reckon even the Collingwood supporters were It was good Gold to Coast see that though. By the end. It was. It was very good. Good to see that. And what was your low light, Nicholas? My low light, I've got I've got a couple because my first one, my original one was going to be from the VFL, so it's not really yeah. AFL related, but I wanted to say Paddy McCartan because mm. I don't know if you guys saw the Us, vision yeah, of what he saw it, yeah. King did, hit. the king hit. It's something you'd do. It's not a I good thought, look, yeah. especially someone, you know, who's been a victim of concussions yeah, of late. Yeah, that's right. And acts like that is, yeah, not a good look at all. But for. my AFL related uh, low light is Port Adelaide. And Jimmy, you know, I love throwing around the flat track bullies. You do, term. you do. And Port Adelaide, they uh, are. They must tread carefully. If, um, are you they don't want to. If they don't want now? that tag, not not yet. I mean, the, but so far this season, they've played two good sides: the Eagles and the Lions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost by thirty-seven points and forty-nine points, respectively. Look, I can I consider them a premiership contender, but yep. I was let down on the weekend. So you were let down, weren't you? Because you tipped them. I did. You put I big did. Money on them as well. No, you nearly put your land. No, I, I don't. I don't gamble, mate. No. Gamble responsibly. No, but they, they'll no doubt smash Adelaide this week. But I don't think I can take them seriously again until they do beat someone from that top six bracket what away from they, home. They away from home. I was going to say away from home is a big thing. I said, I said away from away home yeah, because yeah. premierships yeah. aren't won at Adelaide Oval, and I'm afraid we probably won't see them have that opportunity to make amends until round 23 when they play the Dogs at Marvel. Yep. The next three games against top opposition are the Bulldogs, the Cats and the Ds, which are all at Adelaide Oval. So I don't think we can have a good read on them until the very last game of the season. And Yeah, they've hey, just got a very favourable draw. I, know, I was very interested with Port because, you know, you always call them flat track bullies. You've called West Coast flat track bullies. And I, I wanted to read into them and see really what they've been doing. I read a nice piece which was on footyology. Um, but a, a writer, uh, James... Rosewarn. Rosewarn, there he is, yes. He's uh, he's on from Stats Insider. He wrote a nice piece, but um, he pointed out a few things I thought were really interesting, and I look back as well. So since 2020, or at the start of 2020, they're 12 and zip against sides outside the eight. So they do beat the sides they should beat outside the eight. They smash them. They've got a good percentage, 180 from that percentage from those games. But when they won the minor premiership last year, they had a 4-3 home and away record against top eight. And top eight opponents, that's when you're really tested. But looking back, so Hawthorne went five and five against top eight opponents in 2014. They won the flag. West Coast that next year went five and five. They made it to the granny. Western Bulldogs in their premiership year, they went four and five against top eight teams. Still won it. 2018 Hawthorne, uh, Collingwood, sorry. This is ridiculous. One and seven they were against top eight sides. One and Mm -hmm. seven. And they still made the granny. They were a kick away from winning it. So looking back, anyway, there's more stats that go into it, but it's not that important 
about beating the top eight sides. It's more important about making sure you smash the sides who you should smash, which is what Port Adelaide are doing. So if they keep going along these, even if they lose against the top eight sides, as long as they're smashing the lower sides when they get the opportunity, they will get a chance to compete for a flag. And and it all makes sense anyway. Like the teams that end up at the top of the end of the year, the ones that do win the games, they should win very comfortably and then they compete against the others. But the, the question well, is, Gordo, is it going to stack up though when it comes to a prelim? We saw against the Tigers. You, so, yeah. you want to see it before, you know, it actually takes place. But you don't you want, want to see it too early do- too. I, I, If I was a Port Adelaide fan, I'd rather lose to Brisbane now and then beat them in the return fixture. To use who, who's to say 100%. they, to say they will, though? But that's the thing. I don't think it's just about the result, though. The way they performed on Saturday was atrocious. Mm. It was really bad, and that was the worrying sign. Not the result, because you can cop losing to Brisbane in Brisbane. That's fine. Yeah. But the, spe- the space they gave Brisbane was ridiculous. It was like watching Carlton play. <laughs> we'll get to them later. Uh, Gordo, what was your low light? Uh, my low light was the purple fade. So halftime of yeah, the, your team that you derby. You tipped for the premiership, didn't you? Uh, yeah, not quite. <laughs> not just to quite. make, just to make finals. And I was like, if you know, as I said, they're going to be six and one, five and two, or yeah. five and two entering mm-hmm. this week, and uh, didn't didn't quite work out with a, a late second half fade away, and that's pretty disappointing. And I think they've missed a trick there. That was their chance to to yeah end the, the derby streak and they didn't do it. And, it, and it's probably a good reality check for them. As you said, you need to beat the teams up and the, up at the top end of the ladder to compete and come finals or get to make finals. And yep. uh, they, yeah, they let one slip and, and it wasn't very free mental. It was a very high scoring game, which is totally fine, but they had intensity. They had pressure. They had kind of um, ferocity around the contest and it all faded in the second half. Mm. And they, they didn't put up a fight. If you don't put up a fight against the Eagles, you let them use their ball nice and cleanly. They'll they'll cut you apart. And that's yeah. exactly what Especially they did. Especially in Perth when they can sleep in their own bed. Yeah. Um, so you're putting a line through Freo then for the finals? You tip to make No, top no, eight? there's enough teams. There? There's okay. enough teams in the late fade. There's, there's one spot left in the eight, and Freo are still in the hunt. So. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get to our four quick questions. Um, I'll link in a couple of comments here for and tweets. So um, they lead in nicely. There's a comment from um, Shaban Rajab who commented and said, the Collingwood loss is the only bad loss the Blues have had. If we win that, we're four and three and a non-story. Media loves Carlton stories, though. So I want to ask you guys: Is there an overreaction about the Blues? Are we are they where we expected them to be around seven? Like reading the news and and seeing the fallout that's come after a win and a loss, is everyone overreacting? Is this exactly where we would have picked them anyway? I think they they are overreacting. I think all like Victorian clubs, especially the original Big Four, will always be under the spotlight no matter what they do. They're topical. And as the comments suggested, they're good for clicks and views. Um, but, yeah, this is probably where I expected Carlton to be. Three wins, four losses. Mm. They may have wanted an extra win at this stage. They want to be in that top eight bracket. Uh, they want to play finals this year, you'd think. Um, but there, there's there's time for them to turn that around. And, you know, they, they're tracking okay for me. They're tracking okay. You yep. happy with them? Gordo, are you happy with them? I'm happy with them because well, I expected them to be. But when they come out and say they want to compete for funnels, when their club and their supporters want them to compete for funnels, that's why these reactions occur because mm-hmm. there's an expectation for uh, that Carlton that doesn't match their reality. They're, they're still a team that doesn't defend. They're, they're in that bracket of teams like St Kilda, like Essendon and themselves, which are obsessed with kind of scoring and that's kind of the fix. Like a game like that against Essendon, they conceded another 100 points, which mm-hmm. is happening too often for, for Carlton this year. And so whilst they outscored Essendon with because they're probably a bit further along than Essendon is in their development and their, and their ball use and that kind of thing, then, yeah, great, well done. But then 
we're going to get to another game where they play a top six side and they're going to get beaten because they're going to let the score come the other way. And then we'll have the same complaints. Oh, they didn't show up at the contest. Oh, they didn't defend properly. Oh, their system doesn't work. And so we yo-yo because we go, oh, have they fixed it because they got this win? Or we're going to, you know, and if you just take it the whole season, well, then they are exactly where we, us three, expect well, them to all, be. Well, we, we all tip them outside the eight. So from expect, uh, like expectation-wise, yeah. we're, we're fine with how they Our expectations are. Sure. But their club expectation was well, that, that's the, the thing. That's why it, and they don't know where they're at. It's come also, so people say this is the media. This is the media really bashing it up. If you've listened to talk back after a Carlton loss, you realise it doesn't come from the media. So the media can come off from the fans as well. Yeah. After those losses, and it wasn't just the results because, look, they've lost to Richmond lost to Collingwood, lost to Port and Brisbane. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, Port and Brisbane. They've beaten Frio and Gold Coast and Essendon, right? Essendon yeah. gave up 80, uh, 83 points from uh, turnovers. Yeah. We expected them at the start of the year to tip. That That was what we would have tipped. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exactly where we were. 12, 12, 12 to 9. Nice, but and the fact they, was yeah. Yeah. The, when we all did our ladders as well, a lot of fans were saying, hey, no, put Carlton in the eight. It, all the fans were expecting because they've been selling it for years that we are on an, in the improve. They don't want to finish ninth or just outside the eight. That's not improvement there's no point you want to be competing so they would have had to beat they want to compete better against richmond against port and then brisbane had an opportunity at marvel stadium to say if they're the real deal they've beaten them before teague's first game uh they need to beat collingwood right and it needed to be more convincing against gold coast and other side it's not just the results it's the performances but i like you're relying on Mackay to kick most of your goals he was again brilliant but i think that's a hard fought win on sunday but it's not a great like it's not a great win. You beat Essendon. Mm. You should be able to do it a little bit more comfortably. I think, in my opinion. That's where I expect them to be. I think it's an overreaction sometimes to say, "Oh, you know, Carlton are not where we all expected to be. This is a big disgrace." It's they've set their own expectations, and the fans are unhappy. So, yeah. I, I, and the media does I do does it extrapolate James. that yeah. by saying it's never. Oh, Carlton are playing the way we expected them to. It's always our Carlton fixed, our Carlton broken, and they will yo-yo depending on if they're playing a top eight side or a not top eight side. Mm. So, yep. I'd like to see them improve a little bit more. But this is where I expect them to Definitely. be. Um, Direct Saleh he emailed in and he said, uh, "Keep up the good work, boys. Collingwood is in shambles. Not sure why we are surprised after everything that has gone on for the last six months." Um, I agree. I, I fully agree that they, they they look. Terrible, and you can go like how? How could you wouldn't have predicted, or Collingwood couldn't have predicted that losing three players can hurt you so much, right? These three players, but the depth they've showed is it's not there, right? You can compare them to Essendon, but twelve months ago, boys, they were flag favourites. Exactly twelve months ago, after round seven, and they've lost three players. And when you look back at their so the the youngsters they're blooding in two thousand seventeen, you had Nathan Murphy pick thirty nine. Tyler Brown, pick 50. 2018, Quaynor, good, pick 13. Will Kelly, pick 29. Mark Keane, Category B rookie, and John Noble, mid-season draft. Yes, a tick for Noble, a tick for Quaynor. Then you've got Jay Rantel, pick 40. Trey Rusco, pick 55. Finn McRae, 19. Caleb Poulter, pick 30. Bo McCreary, 44. These are not like Essendon's got these top picks that they're blooding and you can say, oh, here's the future. Or when you've got roughhead Franklin, Birchall, Lewis to, to Hawthorne. Or you know Pendlebury and Dale Thomas years ago. These these youngsters that are coming through aren't really you know doing anything for Collingwood. I know it takes time, but they're at a point now where you've also got your Pendlebury's um, and your side bottom sitting there going, uh, "We're not playing for a flag. What are we doing here?" And you could see that on the weekend that they weren't mentally there. They weren't fighting for their coach. They know now they're not fighting for a premiership. They're not in the contention. Then the twilight of their career is going. What are we playing for? 
that's my everyone's gone silent looking at me. Well, that's you, I, I don't I don't like wandering down this path where like we get to speak <laughs> for Penabry and Sidebottom because you look mm-hmm. at other figures, yeah. like you look at some of the clips from the weekend and Sidebottom was ignored. Like everyone says, let the kids play. Like that's that seems well, to be the panacea. What, me, me. As in, like he is he, you're getting an inside fifty chance, yeah, and the kids have it. Under pressure, Sidebottom runs on the outside and oh, they ignore no, they the give to, okay. to their best kick. They do the same to Pendle because yeah, they, they, best... obviously the instruction is, like, let the kids play, show us what you've got. But letting the kids play is different to ignoring your best ball users and maybe getting you in. Maybe a game. couple of occasions, but his ball, ball, uh, Again, ball he has, use he's was not, horrible he's as well near, lately. He's nowhere near his best this it's, year. And it's just that the motivation levels, it looks like it's not there because they know, I mean, when those when you know you're not fighting for a flag, and this is not coming from me like I've played AFL. This is listening to others. Oh, that's fine, about, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not assuming. I'm I'm listening to what others are saying. Listen to Matthew Lloyd on the topic. I listen to past players. And even Pendles himself that has position. come out and said, like, I wouldn't want to play in the forward mm. line in our own team. Oh, well, that's and the when thing. the skipper says that, or when the skipper gets asked a question like, oh, you know, how did the youngsters go with Bucks? Like, what's the rapport like? And he's like, oh, I don't know, you have to ask them. Like, there's a massive disconnect, public disconnect. And we've said this in other, in other podcasts about the president doesn't know what the coach is saying, the coach doesn't know what the president's saying, the captain doesn't know yeah, what the coach is saying. there's a disconnect there. Yeah, but, and no one's the, talking anymore. Yeah, and the fans have lost faith because it's been mixed messages to them and they're your most important stakeholder is the oh, fans. Of course. So you've got to be honest and open to them. The and if they're saying was a two weeks, yeah, But two weeks ago, Nico, they're saying they're playing for finals. That's what the finals are still a chance, that, and so's Bucks. And then you go out there and lose to Gold Coast, oh. and you have these young. Yeah, they the also opposite. lied about why they got rid of their three, three yes. good players. You know, in the off season, they, they've made a lot of mistakes over the off season. It's been a disaster for and plus them. They've and got a new the new president who's already been a board you member. You can see for it's years. unstable. Yeah, it's not a new environment. Of course, so it's, not, my, it's not going to be a new environment. That's why I said the other week, it's not going to be a rebuild until yeah. Bucks is gone. And and that, yeah, and and the rebuild is hard when you've got these. And all due respect to them, they're like I said, those numbers, they're they're low draft picks. Out of those picks they've got in the last few years, you'd only say okay, you can't single out the ones they got in the recent drafts but because low they are playing them, which is good. That's what you want. You want them to play. But low picks as I mean high as in. But as in like, this picks. is where yeah. the strategy didn't work because they didn't win a premiership. So you have to go like, was it good enough for Collingwood to play in a grand final and miss out by a kick? Because if that, mm. if Dom Shea doesn't kick that from the boundary, this is a very different narrative. It's well done. You got your flag. Now you get to rebuild. Yeah, well, be be like the dogs did after twenty sixteen. Well, you got it, there. A, you you stole one, and now it's a bit like Hawthorne in two thousand and eight. Yeah, they exactly. had an off year in oh nine. Didn't make finals, but they they didn't rebuild to go to that yeah, three peat era. They just recharged a bit. So yeah, we've spoken about it a bit in recent weeks. Anyway, yeah. we we all know where where Collingwood's at. But my question to you boys is this: Is that does Buckley get sacked if the Pies lose to North oh, this weekend? He's he's gone anyway. Um, but, it, yes it, or no? Do you reckon on the way, at the end of the weekend he's gone if he like you get sacked? I I don't think Collingwood. When was the last time Collingwood ever sacked their coach mid season? I when I when I see Collingwood, I think of them as like an, an organized business. They do everything in a controlled manner. They'll never make a rash call on a coach and sack him halfway through the season. I'll be surprised if they sack Bucks at any time during yeah. the 2021 season. They'll wait till the off season for what, sure. What what's that a gain from that though? Like what's what's it? Who, who, does anyone what's, gain any anything from no, Bucks staying there? No, the but what 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 do you gain from an assistant coach taking over for the rest of the season? Because then well, it, then it becomes often- basically a free a free swing. Because at the moment we have Bucks there, everything's business as normal. They're playing Maine, they're playing Cox, they're doing those things. It's kind of like we're trying to win games yeah. still. Whereas okay, you rip but- the bandaid off and say Bucks is gone. He's a champion of the club. I don't see them sacking him. Well, no, but I don't and reckon I he'll sack him. But I see him standing down. Yeah, if that, they lose on the, the weekend, he'll be like, you know what? It's, 
we've come to an agreement. We're not, playing, we're not, we're not playing, playing finals. We're in the rebuild now. We're looking forward to the draft. It's we're going to play some youngsters, blah, the blah, thing blah, I, blah, I think about that will be rock bottom. You are, you are right that they do like to do things in a controlled manner, even if it's the wrong way to go about not things. Not this year. But they will look for the right man for the job. They don't want it to be a rusted, rushed decision to say, hey, you're out the door, let's go and pick the next bloke. That's the other part but, of this question though as well is that is there someone better than Bucks currently available? Oh, yeah, well, but it's hard to say. You, co- like from looking on from the outside, it's hard not being in, in the industry to know who's out there to go. There's, there's there's a list of coaches that could and they need the opportunity. Scott, and when you look at someone like Justin Lepich who was too young or too inexperienced to go straight into the into the job, Michael Voss, other players, when you the second time around you're a better coach and that's what everybody's saying. Um, it's just, yeah, you need to start – it's an opportunity now for Collingwood to start fresh, but even if Bucks knows he's not there next year, is there the opportunity for him to be like, I'm going to stay the rest of the season and we're planning for the future. I'm going to help the next but man come that's, in. That's what Essendon did last year. But it didn't work because all of the all of the back half of the season, it's like, oh, why is Wusher taking the press conferences? It should be rotten. And they had, they had these same mm. dynamic problems. It's like, get get to the future now. Yeah, like, but they, the, the difference is is that they announced that Wusher was leaving yeah. earlier in the season, yeah, at the start no, of the season. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens, but you you reckon he's gone either way. I think he's... And we oh, all yeah, agree that we doubt Collingwood will come out and sack him. They won't do that. No, they yeah, won't. They can't. Okay. They can't do that. And yeah. I, don't, I don't even think Collingwood fans want that. Yeah, no, he's a champion of the club. You know, it's... yeah. They're hurting because their club is not very good at the moment, but I think that would hurt more... If if they mm. crucified a club legend, yep. Uh, boys, are the Saints back? No, Nick. no. It, I mean, it was a good win. Yeah, but you'd want to wait to see them do it against better opposition. They're expected to beat Hawthorne convincingly, and they did. So well done to them. But they've still got a lot to do to win back to win back our faith and trust after the start to the season they've had. So for a start, let's see how they go on the weekend against the Gold Coast Suns because that will be a big game over at Metricon. Mm-hmm. I think it was their biggest win in in about four years. Yeah, good on or them. Something and oh, uh, all right, oh, just Jesus, relax. I'm just stating. No, I know. I'm just <laughs> saying you'd want to see it like beating Hawthorne no, for a bottom uh, three. The side. most impressive thing about this was. Um, and I speak, you know, a couple, was it last week? You said out, of, you named three sides. You said, who would you rather be? And I said, St. Kilda. Because I believe when they get their plays back, which was the first time we saw Marshall and Ryder together, and if that that lifted the team, Jones made a statement, and so did Brad Hill. Um, Ratten put him off the halfback flank, had his best game for the season. Jones played the, one of the best games of his career. Unbelievable. But little things like that, I believe, because the, the talent's there. So uh, yeah, you want yeah, to see the mature bodies are there consistently, yeah. um, but we saw like Jack Higgins kicking four goals. Max King was a little bit wayward. We kicked two goals for um, they they were impressive, but they, you they want were. to see them do they it. Were, they were sides. impressive under you know suitable conditions for them. Yeah, under yeah. A so roof. at home under a roof with not much pressure against them. And because mind Hawthorne you, aren't that great. it was they kept Hawthorne. Hawthorne scoreless in the first quarter. Yeah. But again, like, that, that's, impressive. Impressive. that's impressive. That's impressive. That's impressive. But. It was Hawthorne's. I'm not making excuses yeah. for Hawthorne's, well, by the way. It was their youngest team. <laughs> it was a big breeze in no, the first no. quarter. No, no. It was their youngest team in, oh, I don't even know, like 10, 15 years. Obviously, Bergwijn being out of the side makes a difference, but then you've got O'Meara and Wingard as well. That's experience. It's bigger bodies. And there, there was, I think, 11 plays under the age of 23 and yeah. under 50 games played. So, yeah. I mean, when you so put... Sinclair in that bracket with, with Carlton and Essendon where they need to do it against... 
And they Ooh, just show low. defensive defensive intent <laughs> no, in their game style. Like they look great when they kick goals and they're scoring, but when the game gets actually turned into a proper contest, yeah. they yeah. struggle. Maybe not. Oh, I think it's just bottom three year. side Last as well. year they, um, they're a final side and that's what I said. I think there's, there needs to be certain wins that lifts the spirit of the group and belief and I think this may have been it. I want to see them do more consistently, obviously. But um, I haven't been – I've been writing them off like you boys did two weeks ago. Well, that's it. There's still a lot of the season to go. Uh, last one, boys, did we overestimate the dogs? Oh, well, we did Now that none of us rated the dogs. Yes, I did. I, okay, yeah. well, you overestimated the dogs. What did, no, but that, that's an overreaction yeah. saying that we've overestimated them. Okay. The, it was their first loss in the first seven rounds and it was to the reigning premiers on their home deck. I'm asking the questions. Don't get angry at no, me. No, I'm just saying uh, that, that's my <laughs> opinion. I, yeah. I think the dogs... We'll take a lot from that defeat, but in saying that, I, th- I think they missed Dunkley terribly. English as well, but do you think to, that was their problem? Have, no, I don't, oh, no, no, I problem. don't think it was their problem. I'm just saying they missed him, and to have not having for the rest of the season will be big uh, until finals comes around, of course. But yeah, I mean, it's the, it's their first loss in the first seven rounds. They were mm-hmm. undefeated. What, why are we saying that's an overreaction was, after one loss? I mean, it, it is an overreaction sorry, after an one Overestimated, loss. you meant. Yeah, overestimated, over- yeah. Okay. So you think, no, they're fine. That's exactly where you thought they were and they're still going to contend. Oh, they're six and one. Yep. All right, fair enough. I'm not accusing you of things. He's oh. like he's on trial every time I ask a question. <laughs> I'm not Nico. accusing right, you, Gordon, mate. You ask the question. You I'm not shooting the messenger. Yes, oh. you are. You've shot me not. multiple times. <laughs> There's been a murder on the podcast. <laughs> I, I've always been dubious that the doggies' game style will match up under Funnels Live Pressure and Richmond play that style of pressure game. And because they're so handball heavy, they invite <laughs> frontal pressure they invite it and so they have to handle out of traffic and it didn't work against the Tigers. And if Port's on their game, that's how Port play. If Brisbane are on their game, that's how Brisbane play. And then Geelong are smart enough to come up with a strategy against it. Geelong aren't on a frontal pressure side, but I back Chris Scott to, to work at that game plan as well. It it hasn't in the last few seasons worked. They've added to that midfield mix. They get clearances and they get first use and they get out wide and they get out fast. They look great. But if you can lock them in and make it an actual contest, contested and congested game, they don't look as good yeah. and they got found uh, out. Now, well, I'm what, just saying you can't say I mean, they're 6 and 1. Point loss. They're 6 it's and on, 1. It's on. They didn't get smashed. Yeah. But That's they the, had the lead prob- at quarter time. Everyone was like, Richmond are done. The dynasty's oh, over. Yeah. Uh, Nico, the biggest problem for for um, the Bulldogs, which I've watched very closely this year. You guys are overreacting here. Yeah, no, go the biggest on. problem. I've been <laughs> consistent with this all year. <laughs> go on, way. go on, Jimmy. I don't think go it's on. even that. I think it's the defense, the defensive issues. They get beaten one-on-one. They've, be- they've struggled one-on-one all season. They've won defending. six games no, I know, seven. but even then, but you know why, Nico? This is why. Because they win when you first watch the game, use of the football. No, yeah, they win first use of the football. That's yeah, exactly right. But when they turn it over, they get numbers back. They take intercept marks. That's fine. When you get the ball in fast, Nico, or get a one-on-one, yeah. They do struggle. Okay. Lynch had a field day. Rewalt yeah, was no, no doubt. One-on-one no doubt. defensive. Well, they, they do struggle and you can't deny it and they look vulnerable in, in the back. And, and Luke Beveridge can say all he wants. No, that's just a, the journos are um, overreacting. It's overreacting. true. And it's true. It's true. You can watch the games and you can analyze. They struggle one-on-one. That's their yeah. problem. That's why they're great at intercepting when they get numbers back or when they win it from the source. They're fantastic. That's their only weakness in their game is what I, I know, see. But when you're going up against a dynasty side, you are going to be found out. Your weakness, every team has its weaknesses. Exactly. All right. So, again, so they will be found out, but why should they be peaking now? Contrast then. They will learn a lot from that game. Doggies lost on the weekend. Melbourne played poorly for a half and then did what they needed to do. Would you rather be Melbourne or the Doggies currently? Oh, sure. I don't know. It's it's like for like really, but 
I mean, the North were go- um, they were going up against North the D, so what, whereas boy- Bulldogs were going up against the Tigers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'd rather have – I'd rather lose by, you know, 22 points to the reigning premiers. I mean, it's, you're only f- four goals off from a win and going 7-0. and oh, And, yeah, the, the D's only played one good quarter against North. Yeah, you're very aggressive today. I'm, I haven't I'm said that I'm just saying it's, it's a bit of an overreaction like to say – To say what? We've overestimated the okay. dogs. Fair enough. That's all. That's fine. I just I thought they were that I thought the Tigers are a better side than them, and that's what it proved. Of course they, they are. Exactly. I think They've been the better side over I every think, team over the last well, three or four years. These are just questions, Nico. Right? Enough <laughs> shots at me. The last thing I wanted to, uh, on on this because it's the same topic is: in, did you see the press conference at all, Nicholas? Luke Beveridge's press conference. Uh, Luke or Beveridge's. Were, or were you too smashed by then? You're a few beers down on Friday night. Friday night was I? Yeah, you <laughs> seem yeah. to know my life. Better than me. Yeah, well, uh, you can remember it. I don't know if you brought a smashed. quote up. I might. Uh, so, in, in the in the uh, press conference, uh, journo Ronnie Lerner, who actually writes a blog for the Age, and he writes on footyology. He's a one uh, journo. Yeah, I think um, I know what you're talking about. He asked a question about Jamara Ugalhagen yeah. and if he was closer to getting selection after that loss. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Bevo barked back and asked him if he'd uh, seen the press conference on Thursday, and uh, Ronnie said, "No, I didn't," but. I'm asking about tonight's game and he had a go at him for not doing his research and Jonah's not doing their research. It's fair enough. He bristled at the question. Isn't it? What was your take on that? It's 100% fair enough. I don't think for it. For what? For, for, for Bevo to say, I've already answered this question on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, um, nothing like, nothing that happened tonight will, will change our our decision to play or not play our, our number one. I, I know, okay. and you see that it's an emergency, so you know he's close as so, well. So, all right, my and thing, he asked the questions as well. He said, did you watch the Thursday presser? He said, no. Yeah. He said, did you look at the emergency list for tonight? He said, no. I would be disappointed if either of you okay. went to a press conference and asked questions where you could find the information out beforehand. Absolutely. All right, there's a lot of things I'd be disappointed in you in, but I'm not going to mention that. No, so um, my take on this is that, Ronnie is someone who watches every game. He does a blog on the weekend. He's a well-researched man. He should have watched a press conference on Thursday. Irregardless, he's fair enough to ask that question because on Thursday was before they lost to the Tigers. So his question was fair enough. Is he closer to getting selection after you failed to win? On the, uh, tonight, okay, and that so, is fair no, enough. No, no, question that's, to that's ask. That's a different question as well because his question wasn't in response to the game. He just it said, was in response to the game. Well, that's not how he worded it then. And again, words are important when you're a journo. Yeah. Close and closer are not the same thing. So if you go back and listen, he said, "Is he close to making his debut?" Yeah, well, based on what happened tonight, but he didn't. But he I'm didn't, pretty sure he didn't explicitly. He didn't explicitly say that. Yeah, and so that's the problem. I like, think it's a fair call, Abeba, because there is a lot of journos who don't watch the games and don't do their research, and you should watch previous presses before you go in. Yeah, fair enough that he was honest to say no, I didn't see it, but I thought it was a fair enough question. I thought Bevo was just a little bit cranky. He does get cranky sometimes, Bevo. That's fine. As with any um, coach after a loss. But I thought it was a fair enough question, just for mine, because it is irrelevant. Is he closer now? He's an emergency. You say after that loss, we're close now. Well, our, but he hasn't, but he, as he a player, didn't say he, hasn't like done, he hasn't done anything to become closer. Well, like, he has because Bruce, for example, it, it was, that Shaki, sorry, Bruce and Shaki, all right, Shaki came in and didn't perform well at all. He could probably say he's definitely closer yeah, now. Like he's closer than Shaki. Yeah, but like Otto said, it wasn't worded that way. The question wasn't worded that way. Oh, it wasn't it, based off the game. I need to see a quote for quote, but the way he said it was, I was thinking, I'm pretty sure it was based okay. on that. Well, night. you know, um, yeah. But yeah, fair enough. Ask Jonas to do, there you go. I thought it was a little bit harsh. We, him, we but, sit um, here at this table on these mics and take pot shots at players. 
the least that we do, we collectively as journalists can do is do our due diligence and do all of our homework and we shouldn't walk into a situation where it goes, yep. did you do your homework? And we say no. Then you'll go, well, then I get to be angry at you basically. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Spot. That's your take. Uh, tweets, the last tweets of the show where we get to, Hey, there was a really interesting tweet on the week at you. Oh, this was good. I got out the popcorn Reddit and Gordo and Nathan Weller going at it. Uh, Nathan tweeted in, where was it? Yeah. Um, has Gordo ever watched the game of NBA? He clearly said there were 24 minute games. Pretty sure they are 12 minute quarters and four quarters in a game. Last time I checked, that is 48 minutes. Hashtag no clue. And then Gordo, you responded. You said, I know taking pot shots at me is all fun and games, but what I meant is that the average NBA player is on court for approximately 24 minutes a game. Nathan goes back. He barked. He goes, and what about the players that spend 30, 35, or 40 minutes running up and down the court? And then Gordo said, what about them? The whole discussion was about whether AFL players were able to back up shorter turnarounds so that Thursday night footy is every week due to the huge workloads that 20 minutes plus time on creates. Leagues like NBA can schedule back-to-back because the workload is less. Evidence A, the last game I watched and you screenshotted evidence there. What do you say, Gordo, to that? What was your response and what were you feeling? I think Gordo's like? in the right here. I just yeah. said, dude. Do your homework and I can there you go. the whole there you point go. of it was that I, it was based on research and evidence and I went out and <laughs> talked to some club doctors about workloads and that kind of thing. There's a massive concern for clubs this year that they had a short preseason, they got tighter turnarounds in games and they got extended back to full length quarters. And so they are under the pump at the moment to make sure all their players are fit and healthy. Yep. And we're seeing it in every league that's come back from COVID. The Premier League got smashed by injuries. The NBA's been smashed by injuries. The NFL got smashed by mm. injuries. Everyone's getting smashed because no one did no one did their prep because they couldn't because of the global pandemic. And that's why we're talking about the length of quarters. So that's why. Bang. Return fire. Very good. Nathan had a tweet this week. It wasn't having a go at Gorda. Uh, it said, yeah, it's good, but you like it. You enjoy the abuse. Send it in guys, because that's what we like. It's good because people tune in. They're like, Oh, what's Cornsy going to say this week? Oh, here we go. Here's the doctor with his research. It's good. And then you did your homework and Nathan's done his homework this week. And he said, not really a question, more of a hot take, but shy Bolton, Shay Bolton is the most exciting player to watch. In the stop in the A. It's not really a hot take. It's just an opinion, isn't it? Which is a good opinion. He's a very good exciting opinion. player. Yeah, what do you what do you reckon? Is he the most exciting to watch? And that's an impossible question to answer, isn't it? Because that's just know, preference. Just preference. What do you like? We, the Professor preference. Sam Duncan loves full forwards. We yeah. love some midfielders. You love you love goalkeepers and defenders. So like <laughs> you know, tall it's horses. True. Horses. I true. think he's very much up there with the most exciting. And oh, he is. He's a, he's a very watchable player. Yeah, his athleticism is brilliant, and it was it was good to see. So two years ago, or two seasons, two preseasons ago, he was told he wasn't fit enough to play in the midfield, and he went back to Perth for the summer and got absolutely did his fit. homework. Did, did his homework. homework. Unbelievable. Is he staying fitness. at Richmond? Well, I hope he does. I hope Why he stays he? at Richmond. That's the thing. Well, he, he's got more, a, more gonna, midfield responsibility. Have more team income. To be he's going to get stars. Say dollars. Let's he's he's going to get more dollars and, and dollars and dollars. I hope he stays. But, but at the same the time, superstar. I've, I've never been um, upset. I'm never one of those fans that go, "Oh, you prick! You left for more money, you scumbag!" You've got to think about your future and your own lives. I'm, I'm not. I'm past that. What if moment. he came to Hawthorne? That's fine. If he got, what if, what if Dusty left Richmond? I'd be upset, but I wouldn't. I'd say if that's the best for your life, that's fine. You can make can that decision. Imagine if he did go to North Melbourne well, all was, those years ago. I was, and I thought wow. I considered he might leave, but he wanted club culture and he understood that you've got to love what you do and you've got to love walking into work. So you didn't morning. have a little bit of, uh, you know, um, Schadenfreude against uh, you know, the Lydia when. No, no. And he knocked the Giants off. 
No, I, I like when Delidio because Delidio was was my favourite player. I know he was one of my favourites, oh, and, and he left, been, he quote unquote, left for a premiership. And then, I was upset. I can back, I can back Jimmy up here as well with Buddy leaving Hawthorne. Well, I was upset, yeah. but whatever's best for your life. We don't live yeah. their lives, oh, yeah, and I 100%. think we're smart enough to know that you know they've yeah. got different yeah. issues and family. Oh, yeah. it's a circumstances. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, Fox Sports came to one of you guys and said, "Here's a million dollars." I wouldn't let the gym sessions. The gym sessions gonna go on. On 7.30s and takeover uh, uh, in AFL 360, yeah. you'd be gone. <laughs> I'd be gone before they finish the sentence. Um, but, no, I, I, um, I lost my train of thought because you got me <laughs> dreaming about the future here, boys. Hey, w- what a podcast today. It's been good. But thanks, boys, for coming on. Uh, thanks to um, Matty Lappin for having a chat with us today. Absolute champion, and I appreciate him coming on. Hashtag the gym session. Get all your feedback and abuse into um, – you can email me as well or on Twitter, and we'll mention everything that you do say. We appreciate you tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week.